what's up everyone thanks for tuning in once again this is episode 124 of crossover commerce i'm your host ryan kramer and welcome to another great episode that we have planned for you today uh if you're joining us live we appreciate you watching on social media on all of the platforms whether that be linkedin facebook youtube twitter whatever one you choose to watch us on or if you're listening to us on your favorite social media or your podcast outlets i should say Thanks for uh, go ahead and downloading and just spending a little bit of your time listening to our topic today. But this is my corner of the internet where I want to bring you the best experts in the Amazon and e-commerce industry, whether that be talking about product listing, PVC, advertising, digital marketing, sourcing, logistics, cross-border payments, perhaps. Uh, I'm your person that I want to share my network of people to bring you the best and brightest people and experts in the e-commerce and Amazon industry. No BS, all straightforward. It's very much a everyone who's been successful in the space. I want you to be able to understand where they're coming from and so that you can level up your business and understanding here moving forward. With that being said, uh, today is I'm very excited because this is one of my passion topics that I think a lot of people, I would call a sexy topic. I would like to call it a very trendy topic, but it's very, it's very much of a very much of a, a topic that people are just not understanding maybe all the different times they know that there's always a lot of names being thrown around in terms of acquiring businesses but a lot of e-commerce sellers now understand that you as an owner of an e-commerce store have an asset and that asset is valuable to certain entities and individuals whether that be the likes of uh elevate brands or you know foundry or you know, even Thrasio or even private equity money that can come into the space and buy your business and operate it for you. What does that mean? Who are these people? It's not just been around for two years like a lot of people might think. It's actually been around much longer. So we're actually going to dive into that and really talk about the sourcing e-commerce businesses for investors. And we're going to be talking from that aspect from a broker's side that I'm uh, excited to talk about. His name, um, the owner and operator and founder of this brokerage that we're talking about, DJC Digital Brokers is David Carroll. David has over 20 plus years of experience in digital marketing, financial background, cross-border um, business, and also just brokering individual private equity deals for e-commerce businesses and owners alike. So we're going to be talking with him in terms of what people are looking for, really, truly what value asset, the uh, assets that you have are truly valuable and really what opportunities exist out there, maybe not just at the highest level, but maybe in a more boutique sort of way. So that being said, before we hop into it, I just want to remind people that Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments has actually transferred over $150 million a day consistently and now to date has done over $90 billion in cross-border payments. That being said, serving over 1 million customers worldwide, sellers alike on Amazon and e-commerce, go ahead and check us out. Go ahead and click on that link, whether you're in our landing pages or if you want to go ahead and check out in the show notes below, check out Ping Pong Payments. Thank you, Ping Pong, for sponsoring Crossover Commerce, as always. That being said, let's go ahead and bring in David Carroll of DJC on uh, DJC Brokers. Uh, and David, let me bring you in right here. All right, there we go. How, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. How are you, Ryan? Nice to see you. <laughs> it's always a uh, choppy when I'm the only one producing, so I just have to make sure I'm clicking on the right buttons because no one wants to look bad here. <laughs> one man team. I understand. That's right. Well, hey, uh, thanks for joining us a little bit earlier today. You were firing off a bunch of emails before we even hopped on here. So busy as always, I'm assuming. Um, yeah, you're, uh, so your background, we, I, I personally, I'm just fascinated by just the amount of time you spend in multiple different facets of the digital space, e-commerce space, marketing space, financial space. It's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife uh, background, but maybe how did you get to where you are with uh, your company now with, uh, you know, uh, DJC? Right. So uh, the, there's there's a long version of the story and the short version. I'll start with the short <laughs> version and then you'll let me know what more you'd like to know. Let's do it. Uh, so um, I started out uh, uh, many years ago in investment banking where I had exposure to the M&A market um, at places like JP Morgan. And then later, uh, right around 2000, I, I uh, started a, an internet, so-called internet career, 
initially working with startups, internet startups, and then later forming my own email marketing agency in New York in 2003. And I ran that agency for about 12 years. And then um, in 2016, uh, I be, sort of made a pivot in my career and began to broker online businesses. Uh, at, at first as a sell-side broker, and then later in 2018, launching a buy-side aspect to our brokerage, which has become the primary, the primary focus of our business today. So that's the, that's the top-level overview. So you are now today, you're buying and acquiring, but you're also selling different assets, correct? Is that, is that how I'm hearing it correctly? Re simplifying? Yes, representing sellers or representing buyers. So we're, we primarily represent buyers, uh, investors that are seeking to acquire certain types of digital assets. We are their M&A advisor. Uh, and then we have a sell side brokerage, which is a it's very important part of our business, but it is secondary to our, our uh, M&A advisory. So it, when it comes to representing different entities, like you have a very vast background in uh, financial, but also in the digital asset side, what was it like knowing that you can just branch off and people would, are, are you going out and accepting new clients? Are you, are you staying pat because you're a small but mighty team? It sounds like. What was it like to make that transition to know that you can both represent the buyers and sellers in that case? That was an interesting, that's an interesting part of the story of my company. Um, now I'll go back and give you a sort of more detailed version of what I yeah, Let's dig deep because that's always, uh, this is uh, before you dive into it, uh, this is why I think it drives a lot of people and you can see the success from the get go is you see where their brain kind of starts to trickle uh, or tr uh, percolate in terms of where they want to see their business go and what they actually want to do. And that's kind of where the business kind of morphs and grows from. So anyways, uh, if you could, that'd be amazing. Absolutely. So a lot of e-commerce uh, founders and entrepreneurs will know that uh, a good e-commerce business or any, any business is usually founded based on solving a pain point, right? So that's kind of what happened with, with me and, and my business um, back in 2018. So I started doing sell-side brokering in 2016, representing sellers, taking listings for digital businesses and finding buyers for those businesses, just the traditional brokerage model. Uh, and in the process of doing that, I noticed that, uh, as you know, as the your listeners know, the, the digital asset marketplace is really a seller's market, right? right. There's, there's a lot more buyers than there are good assets, digital assets to acquire. So there's competition for those assets. Um, and so that has created, a, a, that asymmetry creates kind of an imbalance that uh, I found made a lot of buyers feel like they didn't have the control that they wanted to have in, in, in the transactions. Uh, and that translated in, in terms of things like um, uh, bidding wars or, or uh, buyers having to make decisions on very short time frames that were uncomfortable, you know, because they were competing against another buyer that was moving a little faster. Uh, and so after speaking with a lot of frustrated buyers, uh, I decided to begin to, to uh, test out at that time uh, a, a buy side concept. Uh, and because of my digital marketing background, I ran it at a digital marketing agency that specialized in email marketing. Uh, I developed an, an email-based uh, outbound digital property search process, which started out very simple and, and now has become quite complex and involves a, a, a decent-sized team. But um, that was sort of the origin of, of that. We, we went to buyers and said, hey, how can we serve you? What, what service can we provide you that would uh, facilitate your acquiring the assets you're looking for on terms that work for you? And uh, in, in surveying those, those potential buyers, we found out that what they'd like to have is a, a deal flow opportunities that were provided to them. So we now have a fee-based deal flow service that is our primary, our prim primary business, and that's how it originated. Very cool. So you, you talked about the speed of transactions, and it was uncomfortable for a lot of sellers again i think that would be from my perspective i would think that would be the most overwhelming aspect of once you make the decision to potentially part with something you've built from scratch that process a lot of businesses will tout how quick a close they will want to do 
you're talking about the opposite. You're think you're saying people want to take a more strategic approach and maybe get either the most money or actually hand over their brand to the asset that would take care of that potentially um, on a more comfortable level. Is that is that maybe more of the yeah, lines? Let me let's unpack that a little bit. I, I think you're you're talking about the sell the sell side, right? Mm -hmm. And and of course the sellers would like to close the transactions that are on the terms that they like as quickly as possible. Sure, right? that's always the case. I'm talking about the the buyers. Okay. So let, let's say you're an investor and you're looking for an opportunity and you went to one of the brokerage marketplaces and you saw an asset that was attractive to you and you initiated contact with that broker and you began the conversation. And, and when you contacted the broker, you found out that the broker said, well, listen, you, um, you know, if you're interested in this, we need we need you to make an offer quickly because we have four other bidders already looking at do, you know, doing due diligence. It's makes that sense. Kind of it's yeah. that kind of a, a rush that we tried to prove that, that's the pain point that we tried to solve. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, there's a lot of things to unpack there too, because you said from people that you're working with, this can be anyone from an individual who wants to, who either has a portfolio that they're trying to build out, right. And operate, or they have a team that can operate it or at scale, this is a multi-million dollar billion dollar entity maybe I'm, I'm not going to ask who your clients are but it could be as high as you know pe money or private equity money that wants to build out a portfolio so that they can be more solid in an ecosystem like e-commerce or on amazon already instead of building it out themselves is that ultimately what these people are trying to do from the get-go uh, yeah, so we represent a lot of you. You sort of you sort of described it pretty well there. We we represent a lot of different kinds of buyers. When I when I first started the the business, we were uh, primarily working with uh, owner operators. So either an individual who was looking to acquire their very first digital business, or uh, someone who was looking to add a, a, an asset to an existing portfolio. Uh, and then in the in the beginning, we also worked with a couple of uh, PE firms. Uh, initially, fewer. Now, now that's the the focus of our business, or it's a, the biggest, largest part of our business. Um, and so we we represent all those buyers, and they all have different different needs, uh, which we've we've learned to serve. They're quite different, uh, you know, uh, types of buyers actually. Uh, individuals or you know owner operators are are concerned about different things than than the PE firms or the small institutions that that we work with. And I'm happy to go into that further. Right. Because again, you've been doing this a long time. And I think it I think it's something for everyone who's listening to this to understand is that mergers and acquisitions hasn't has been around for the the dawn of time since businesses are you're operating, your competition is either going to be big enough where they acquire you or they engage in buying your competition, or they're going to build out a portfolio to help round out whatever brand or vision that that company might have be either at small scale or continue to grow. That can be like Coca-Cola buying like Dasani water or like food products and things like that. But at a smaller scale, I think it's, it's this conversation and this dialogue that people have said, Hey, I don't just have to make money by selling on Amazon. What I built out is actually in itself a business that of processes, assets, and then also just, um, you know, brand equity. So all of that actually has a value, but it, it's kind of getting lost in this transition of lots of people and businesses are now raising money from these uh, PE or venture capital funds. And then obviously they're going to operate them and grow those skills and use those to build out their portfolio. You're talking on a little bit smaller scale, um, because you're offer, you know, you're brokering the buying and selling aspect. Um, I guess my question is when people are coming to you on with an asset, what does it take to engage with that individual? Do they have to have certain parameters in order for you to take them on as a client? And, uh, what, what's that, that process like from there? Maybe. Right. So once again, I, I want to clarify because you're, you're coming at it a little bit from the seller perspective and mm -hmm. we, do, we do have a sell side operation. And when, when sellers uh, approach us, uh, we're looking for assets at, nowadays. We do still work with uh, 
somewhat smaller uh, clients because some of our buyers are looking for smaller assets. That's the sure. driver of that. Uh, so I, we don't have a hard limit, but we'll, we usually don't deal in, in assets that are smaller than $250,000 in, in valuation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do if it matches the criteria of the buyer. Okay. Um, but I think the question that you wanted to ask was about the buy, the buy side yeah. uh, and, and how, how we, uh, so our, our buyer clients approach us uh, with a mandate and their mandate, let's say we're talking about uh, an aggregator and we do represent uh, a handful of the FBA aggregators. Sure. They come to us with a, a specific criteria, the kinds of, of assets that they'd like to acquire. Uh, we once we've they've retained us, we will take that information and turn it into actionable searches uh, that we will then perform as email campaigns supported by other types of outreach. Uh, and then that info those those replies from the potential the prospective sellers that we're contacting uh, will develop a dialogue with those potential sellers and uh, determine whether they're a match for our investor. And if they are, we'll introduce them and, and carry forward uh, a, a dialogue that sometimes results in an LOI and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, so that's, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's. Yeah, that's absolutely. And I think it's fascinating coming from this perspective because it's a lot of people talk about from, if I'm an Amazon seller and I have this asset, it's it's selling and, that, and that's one dialogue, but you're, you're coming from how you're representing some of these aggregators, but also people who want to build out their portfolio, um, kind of sticking with that point uh, instead of going back and forth. So I apologize for that because you, you handle both, <laughs> okay. but I, I want to get all aspects of it all. Yeah. So if we're coming from that perspective, how are, how are businesses finding them? Because to a point, Amazon now just released uh, obviously locales of where sellers are, their business entities and their seller profile. Are you skimming skimming that in terms of reaching out to those individuals, or how are you, how are you finding this database of potential um, acquisition clients and say, hey, we're looking for people like you. Are you interested in selling? So on and so forth. Is is that just like a lot of? Is that all technology based? Or is that um, an algorithm based? Is that just a lot of like head hunting, searching, doing a lot of the the groundwork, hitting it hard, and knowing where people? Are like what? What does that database look like, and how are you building it? So that this is probably the most important part of our of our business. This is the and there's a there's a little bit of secret sauce in, in what you're asking. Yeah, well, don't give away don't give away anything. Uh, uh, yeah, proprietary, but I'm curious about it, like the the yeah. concept of finding it. Yeah, well, uh, so um, maybe I should go back a little bit and, and broaden out. Uh, we do we perform this service, this outbound digital property search service for all kinds of buyers, not just e-commerce buyers. We also work with uh, content website acquirers and SaaS acquirers. So um, the process varies a little bit depending on what kind of asset that you're seeking. Mm -hmm. um, without getting into it too much, I would say it, it's based uh, primarily on keyword competition. So we'll, we'll talk to our investor and determine the mandate, as I described earlier, and then we'll ask them for what we call seeds, right? So companies or assets that look like the kind of asset that they'd like to acquire. Right. And then using a bunch of techniques, primarily keyword, common keyword competition, we will identify the, the competitors or the relevant other companies that match that, that seed. Uh, and then using some uh, technology and uh, some good old fashioned uh, phone calling. We'll, we will <laughs> uh, reach out to um, those those parties and develop those dialogues that you mentioned. So it's a it's a technology driven process that has uh, a human element to it. What was the most interesting way that you had to engage with a potential client in that regards? Of you say the old fashioned way of email. Is there a way that they're like, hey, I only respond through. TikTok messaging or something along those lines, something something bizarre. Is there anything that you've had to engage with this new wave of technology as as time has evolved? Yes, the, the answer to answer your question, yes. As, as you know, dealing with a lot of people, that people have their own pre preferred way of being 
communicated with. <laughs> so sometimes, m mostly people are, uh, especially in, in the COVID era, we, we are, you know, we're, we're performing outreach on email, we're setting up uh, meetings using something like Calendly, and then we're having a, a you know, a Zoom call. That, that's, that's usually the cycle. But to answer your question, uh, sometimes I have sellers, and, and particularly sellers who are less familiar with the concept of selling their digital business. Um, those types of sellers can sometimes have uh, unique ways of, of communicating, and, and you do have to reach out to them. Use it. For, for example, I have a lot of uh, sellers who communicate not necessarily exclusively, but primarily through channels like Telegram and WhatsApp. <clears throat> And um, I mean, I've, I've actually conducted the majority of certain transactions on Telegram, which, okay. is, which is a little bit tough uh, for a guy like me with the, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we, we do have, we do have those kinds of things. So we're using all the different channels that, that we're, we're reaching people or meeting people where they are. We right. will find, we'll find them on the channels where they, where they are, are most frequently. But of course, email is still the best right. way to reach people. Well, thank God it wouldn't be like a fax machine still. I've I had somebody as recent as man 2020 or maybe it's 2019 when I had a someone said please fax over the contract and I replied back and I said that that will not happen. <laughs> there needs to be a different way of doing this business wise. So ask me a different way. And uh, I got a lot of looks about that in my office when I was working on that. So that was was pretty funny. Uh, I said, there's an easier way to do this. Let's figure this out. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're talking about problem solving. And I think that that's the number one asset and kind of where you represent is your problem solving for a company who's trying to fill a void. Is, is it as simple as what they're looking to fulfill? Is it, is it monetary that they're trying to ultimately um, achieve? Or is it more of a niche that they're trying to fill and fit? Because in my mind, if I'm you, these companies either lack in a presence on Amazon and they don't have that processes put in place, or they don't have the team that has yet built out a product or a brand that is successful on Amazon. And it's just easier to purchase and grow with simplest or with their own resources in that regards, rather than build from scratch. Is that is that pretty simplistic way of putting where your clients are coming from? I, you, know, I mean, it, you mentioned early on about my background and the fact yeah, I was pleased the way you described it as a Swiss army knife. I think that's a good description. Um, and the, the reason that's important, and I think the reason that works uh, in this business is because the the situations are as diverse as the, the number of clients that we have. So uh, yes, there are some, some trends. We have uh, certain buyers who are particularly the aggregators. We have very similar mandates, but <clears throat> there's always a difference. Um, uh, so in those in those cases, I think you may be familiar that the aggregators are looking for uh, FBA heavy e-commerce businesses that uh, have certain what we call deficiencies or opportunities to improve. It's usually mm -hmm. in the marketing area, right? So um, okay. what, we find, what we find is that a lot of e-commerce entrepreneurs are solving a problem, as we described earlier. Uh, they're developing a product, they're uh, getting it launched and, and figuring things out, <clears throat> figuring out how to uh, create a brand, create a product, uh, reach out to customers, and usually marketing and capital are the, are the issue, are the, the missing factors or the, the, the scarce resources. And so in those cases, um, you know, aggregators can bring capital and expertise and particularly marketing expertise to grow those brands. So that's usually, that's a very common match, you know, a, a brand that's miss, missing out or doesn't have enough marketing juice and may not have enough capital to, to grow. Um, and the aggregators fill that need nicely. It's, um, it's fascinating you say that because like, I want to interject real quick because yeah. I, I personally, look at it a different way, I would almost say that the logistics side is maybe more of the deficiency in that regards, more of a either cost per, uh, cost comparison or just figuring out logistically how to get goods into from point A to point B quicker. That, that would be maybe more of my perspective in where people are struggling from or at scale. Like you said, I agree that with money becomes more power and you can put in 
your goods more places. And here at Ping Pong, we actually see people once they take brand X in the United States, if it's heavy in FBA, like as like you mentioned, you're looking probably heavy business that's doing probably 90%, 80% on FBA, 20 to 10 to 20% off of in multiple other channels, whether it be Walmart or whether it be on direct to consumer websites. I would think that and they're taking those brands and actually put them in international where you quickly see the the growth capital, but logistically and from the supplier side and logistics side, I thought that's where most of the, you know, wins are happening, but you're saying marketing, that's fascinating. I'm, I, I'm curious I, to hear why you think that. Well, uh, you, to your point, uh, supply chain issues are certainly another area where many entrepreneurs need, need help. So right. that, that's certainly, that's certainly true. Um, I, I, we find that secondary in, in general. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and it, again, it varies, it, it varies, right? You, the, there are certain aggregators or acquirers that have a particular expertise or a particular asset to, to bring to the table and they want to leverage that, that asset, whether it's, you know, knowledge or capital or whatever. Um, and we find a good match when we have a seller who's missing whatever that is, right? So we're able to bring together the seller who needs supply chain help or capital or marketing assistance and the buyer that has all of that to offer. So um, yeah, it, 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 it varies quite a bit. It, we, you know, we're talking in e-commerce, uh, we're sort of talking a little bit about the, the aggregators because I think they are the elephants in the room this year and, and recently. Uh, bringing a lot of capital and, and a lot of excitement to the FBA market, uh, maybe even a little disruption, I would say. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but there are certainly lots of other non-aggregator acquirers that have other uh, mandates that because they're they they have different assets to bring to the table. So it just it just depends on the the nature of the buyer. So why why is this now a movement? I, I say this because it was the end of 2021. The big the first big you know, splash was, I forget it was who was one and one B it was, I think Thrasio first and then perch in terms of the amount of money they raised and still even to this day, back and forth, one has raised multiple billions of dollars or close to $2 billion. The other is close to 1 billion and not just debt or not just equity, but in debt equity, which means that's money they have accessible to purchase these businesses. So again, keep that in consideration, but there's businesses now that are getting money from the likes of investors of like Tony Robbins, for example, I, I saw the other day one is specifically have like individual private equity money that people are um, doing it at a smaller scale, but they're doing it more niche focused. Uh, you know, I've had businesses that are just health and wellness or, um, you know, just want to do supplements and that's the category that they want to tackle and because they have all these other retail brands that they are certainly already operating in house. They want to now do that on the digital asset side. Um, so it's a little bit easier to kind of build out this niche focus space. Is it, is it popular now just because, uh, I mean, I guess that's my question to you is why is this so, why is now the time? Why, why is it all of a sudden money being thrown VC money, but then now it's coming private equity money. Well, I, I think, uh, the, the short answer is, uh, it, it just, we're in the that moment in the growth curve where, uh, the risk, and reward balanced out, and it made it made sense. Uh, I think that's the short answer. But those of us who have been in, in the brokering industry for a while, I think, have, have known that something like this was coming, right? And and some of us were, you know, were, were a little concerned about what when institutional money finds our industry, what's going to happen? And it's happening. You know, we're starting to see it. And it started with FBA. It could it could very well go into other other types of digital assets. Um, but I think it has to do with the structure of Amazon, the commoditization of creating a, uh, a brand. Uh, Amazon, the whole Amazon process is very structured. Uh, it, it's discrete. You can, you know, it's easy to understand. You can, you can buy it, move it around. I think it, it has to do with, with that primarily. Um, but, but also the, the, the growth of uh, sellers and, and the fact that we have now a lot of what we call, uh, and these are clients of ours, what we call corporate escapees, you know, people who worked in corporate 
life and they, they aged out or they decided to leave corporate life to start some kind of a, a, a digital uh, business. And uh, that's becoming, there's a groundswell of that now. So you have a lot of smart people trying to solve all kinds of, of problems, consumer problems primarily, um, with digital, with, with products and distributing them uh, uh, on the internet primarily through, through, F, through Amazon. Is there? So I, is, I don't know. If yeah, that addresses, I don't know if that addresses your your question. Yeah, yeah. My question is, I this has been kind of a strange couple of months for a lot of seller. I say Amazon sellers. I'll, I'll be specific in that Amazon sellers because of the ebb and flow that it feels like Amazon is now under potentially with inventory limits, and it's really hard to keep your pulse on how effectively you can predict both inventory limits how you can utilize FBA in terms of not just a uh, storage facility now, but as a fulfillment center, which it was truly built out to be overcoming these obstacles. And unfortunately for some sellers who want to enter the market or maybe beneficial to those who are already in and weeding out the bad competition is that the barriers to entry are now becoming higher. Uh, it's not just a passive thing. It's now a full-time business. So you're operating at a full-time juncture as a business and whatnot is there any fear that amazon sellers or maybe the aggregators or private equity money should have in the likes of being majorly dependent on amazon sales because of the unpredictable nature of it does that make sense like for a business that's 90 percent sales on amazon i'm solely relying on Amazon being functional, which is fantastic when it's done right. Should we be worried that it's solely dependent on this nature that at any moment in time, the listing can be taken down for any number of reasons? Uh, I mean, the short answer to your question is uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, before the, uh, before the aggregator explosion, um, those of us who were brokering e-commerce businesses, uh, you would see single channel, Amazon only e-commerce businesses in the marketplace. And generally speaking, those businesses were considered among the riskiest assets you could acquire because of the reason you just described. And the multiples reflected that. Uh, multiples on single channel Amazon only e-commerce businesses prior to the uh, aggregator boom were, were, were lower than other multiples. Um, and so uh, I think what has happened is the risks haven't changed, but the volumes have changed. Uh, and so this is an interesting question, actually. I, I, I would like to divert, divert this a little bit into the relevancy to, to our business. We should, uh, yes. Yeah, so we, we perform this outreach on behalf of aggregators and other e-commerce buyers looking for e-commerce brands to acquire. Very frequently with the... Uh, the, the aggregators, they're looking for brands that are either natively or completely or mostly reliant on an FBA channel. Um, but if you think about it, when you're building an e-commerce business, not some not for exit, when you start an e-commerce business, you're not thinking about Thrasio. You're thinking about your customer solving, your, solving the problem and also staying in business. And one of the ways you stay in business as an e-commerce entrepreneur is not to have a single sales channel. It's great. Multiple sales channels um, so that you have diversification. We saw so, the effects of that in 2020, most certainly in the, especially the beginning of it. Yeah. Well, it, it, it what's happened is uh, there's an interesting, this is where the disruption comes in. Um, now the aggregators have placed a premium in the market on single channel or ch uh, businesses that are have Amazon dominant sales channel. The Amazon is the dominant channel in their, in their distribution. And if from a purely uh, robust business building perspective, that's not what you'd expect. You'd expect that a, a company or a business that has multiple channels where each of those channels is healthy and bringing in a decent amount of, of sales so that if one of them gets knocked offline, if Amazon, you know, suspends your account, you would want sales being produced by other channels in the meantime. 
That, right. would, be, that would be a healthy business. Well, there's now a premium on businesses that are unbalanced or asymmetric and have, you know, these, these uh, channel, Amazon channels that are more significant. Um, so that's, that's an interesting dynamic um, because we do outreach and, and develop dialogues with lots of e-commerce brands that I would describe as very healthy businesses that have, let's say, a third of their sales coming from Amazon and a third coming from wholesale and a third coming from their own website. That's a very healthy, balanced uh, set of sales channels. Well, most of the aggregators would look at that and say, well, that's, we're not so interested in that because you know they're more interested in the, the Amazon portion of it. And then they have to, quote unquote, do something with the other channels. Um, and the, each aggregator has a different attitude about this. But in general, they're focused because this is their business model. They're focused mm -hmm. on the the, uh, the Amazon stuff. Right. So with that being said, that that sounds like a that sounds like a, a recipe for not disaster. I would say a recipe for lots of you, you had said this. It, it's almost like this escalation of all of a sudden now we are fighting over this asymmetricalness of it all. But if at any moment that Amazon says, again, Amazon's not going away and never, it probably will never go away. We don't know what's going to happen in terms of like legality reasons, if it, if it breaks up or if it, it continues to like emphasize sellers, how it will change the game in terms of logistics, fulfillment, all that fun stuff. There's a lot of juggling um, going on there. But is that... Do you, do you see that as almost like a, you see the cliff before it's you're getting there because all of a sudden if something changes and you run out of basically runway, then all of a sudden everything starts to go off and you start to you fall completely. If you're not diversified, I would think that would be the worst case scenario for both investors and as a business. Is that, is it just because you think the model is so good on FBA that they can duplicate it in their own way and build it? In their own directed consumer channel instead of just adopting someone else's yeah i mean so there's there's a there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there um here here's what i would say um i think the 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 issue with if you were start again going back to the the entrepreneur if you were starting your own e-commerce brand and you were going to build something to solve a pain point address your your customer's problem and to do so sustainably. I mean, I think sustainability is really the word that I would I would use here. Uh, you 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 wouldn't you might you might start that business by distributing on Amazon and then supplement that with other channels or, mm -hmm. um, but you wouldn't just build a business that was eighty or ninety percent Amazon and and keep it that way. But um, there's a mindset developing now with with sellers seeing all of this activity in the with aggregators in the market to build businesses for exit right and in particular build businesses that are focused on amazon from my perspective as a as a uh, a business person uh, from the broader perspective i i think that's not a particularly healthy development um, I, I would not advise an entrepreneur to to build a business you know, just with a, with an Amazon channel, just because they wanted to exit, uh, and I, I think you are starting to see this mindset set in a little bit. Um, so I would I would encourage entrepreneurs to think about their their goals, um, their long term goals, and the sustainability of the business that they're building. Because as you pointed out, Amazon is getting tougher and tougher about all uh, suspensions and and uh, you know the policies that they're putting in place with regard to everything right yeah. and, and as yeah, a business so. right you would you would you would never start a business under the guise of someone else has control over the sole income basically of your business like I, in just business sense no one would ever do that with that intention so that being said it's my personal opinion and if you're listening to this as, as a person Go ahead and comment on the comment section below if you're watching on social media, or you can email me directly and tell me what your thoughts are, or feel free to let us know directly what your thoughts are and start this dialogue of what's the end game for aggregators. Because in my personal opinion, I think that there's a couple different ways that they're going to do. They're going to build on Amazon and they built up their own product launches and you know their own brands in-house. But then also you're seeing this land grab of, 
different institutions. For example, Thrasio just uh, reabsorbed their financial sector of giving uh, lending to Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers in that regard. So it's almost like a, they're building their own portfolio, which we know as as any good company is going to do before potentially going public is you have all these different avenues of income and you can diversify and grow, um, but you do it right on Amazon, which is the number one pretty much uh, shopping channel right now in e-commerce industry. But then you start to grow from there as you get your footing and you know that there's consistent growth in that capacity. You do it through other marketplace channels like Rakuten. You do it through Walmart. If you're in the United States, you do it through Mercado Libre and CD discount. Uh, all the marketplaces that on this channel I've you know mentioned that exist around the world, you continue to grow your brands through that, but then also you start to show that you have roots and all these kind of things. So you show quick growth and then that's where you can start to bring the rest of it along the way. That's my personal opinion. If you disagree, let me know. I'm happy to, to always go one-on-one -on -one with people, but having this conversation like with you and brokers, and then also on the aggregator side, I think it's always fascinating to see their mindset and what they potentially are going to be doing in the future, because you know that there's something behind the scenes in the works, what they have in store, but they don't reveal that. And that's, and that's fair. Uh, for each business. Yeah. I, as you were talking, I was reminded of something that happened a few years ago uh, that's kind of an analogy to this. Uh, it's still happening now. You may uh, be familiar with uh, a lot of content businesses uh, mm -hmm. were back in the mid-20-teens uh, building a lot of traffic on from Facebook. Right? There was a tremendous amount of right. Of people investing in advertising and 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 also in uh, uh, content on Facebook, and that that was a similarly risky proposition, and has proven to be uh, for for businesses that um, built uh, a business around the economics of acquiring a customer from Facebook, and then uh, you know Facebook has the ability to change those economics uh, on 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 a dime, and they did in fact do that. And so it changed the viability or sustainability of those companies that built their businesses relying heavily on that Facebook traffic. And I think we're seeing now an analogy in, in, in Amazon. If you build your business reliant, uh, too reliant on, on Amazon, it's going to be a less sustainable business. It might be more attractive to an aggregator. And if that's your goal, well, then good. Um, but uh, I, I would just I would invite entrepreneurs to think clearly about their long-term goals. Uh, and to your point, um, you know, the institutions, uh, Amazon and these aggregators are gonna do what's good for them. And I think mm -hmm. entrepreneurs entrepreneurs need to think clearly about what's good for them. And I, I think that's often to have a diverse uh, set of, of uh, sales channels. Right, and, and we're not saying, I'm not personally saying that aggregators are bad. I think they're actually really helping a lot of people grow. Um, we have a lot of partners that are, are aggregators and they're doing so many great things in the space, shining light on what sellers are doing, growing their own businesses. It's actually provided a lot of people the capital to, you know, obviously build their own business and brand equity or reinvest in themselves later on. So I'm really excited about that possibility as well. What I, what I do want, I don't think a lot of people necessarily converse about is what's next. We're, we're very short. This feels very short sighted in terms of, how quickly we can do it in the next 24 or 12 months or so. What's in the next 24 months for a brand? How as an entrepreneur, as I know that Amazon's tougher and tougher, entrepreneurship is tougher and tougher. I have to get smarter with how I stand out. I have to get my product that's higher quality. The end, end buyer is actually a lot smarter than they were in the past. All these different capacities of when I want to enter as an entrepreneur online, is my goal to exit as quickly as like you're saying in the next 24 months or so. I don't know if that's the case anymore. I think people are trying to build out actual brands and become an establishment within their sector and diversify from there instead of just throw a bunch of products online, be really good at listing my products and launching products. And then at scale, either move on from those, and uh, and find the next quick thing. It's almost like the quick flash in the pan. And now they're doing more slow burn, be consistent, be methodical. How do I build an audience? How do I build a brand loyalty? How do I grow internationally? And I think that you're starting to see this methodical process now of 
smarter sellers build it out instead of the quick flash in the pan, get rid of it onto the next thing and build out a, a, a catalog of, of thousands of ASINs and things like that. So, so David, you have this marketing background and expertise, this financial background. We talked about this in the, in the intro. What is the most exciting thing for you right now? What, what's in your day-to-day -day business? What do you get excited about when you wake up every day going into your home office or into an office? If, if you're going into an office anywhere, what's the most exciting thing for you in the space right now? I was going to say, well, I, I, I work at, I, I work and live here, man. <laughs> I don't leave. The office is the home. Yes, that's right. Um, well, lots of lots of things. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you the main thing I think that is exciting for me and our team right now is I, I think we made a good decision to focus on buy side brokering. What, what is what is described as buy side brokering, which is really M&A advisory for smaller, you know, for smaller businesses, small being can be quite large, right? 30 million or under, let's say. I have the beholder. We'll say that. What's that? What's whatever's small for some people is quite large for others. For others I, it's in the eye of the beholder, yeah. Absolutely. So what's what's really exciting right now is we folk we chose or I, I, we chose I think um, four years ago to focus on advising buyers, and then we this is going back to the beginning of the conversation. And what we're finding right now is that we've been doing this for a while. We have systems in place to deliver consistent results. We're always learning and, and the market's always changing. So we don't we don't know everything, but we we know enough. We know a lot. And we're able to bring that knowledge to to buyers. And we're finding that the uh, in the last six months or so, uh, the in the inbound inquiries about our service have become massive. Uh, we're getting a lot of interest in what we do. Um, people are, are realizing that they could use some help. Uh, finding businesses, uh, but and and that help can come from people that do that do this for a living, which is which is what we do. We are always out there looking for uh, new properties for our investors to acquire. Uh, also, we've been doing this for a while, so we have a large database of of you know prospects that we've spoken to over the years. Some of whom were not ready to sell one or two or three years ago when we first spoke to them. But we stay in touch and we find that now uh, we're starting to see a sort of a, a ripening of our database where people that, you know, we spoke to two years ago are now ready to exit. And they're right. calling us. They're calling us because we developed this this relationship with them. So what excites me is the the ripening of, of my business, which is happening right now. Uh, and it's sort of coming together with a realization in the market that uh, you know, buyers need buyers could use help, and uh, it's easier to uh, to hire that help than to do it for yourself. Right. A lot of people would rather partner with uh, or have a growth partner like yourself instead of obviously build from scratch. And that's why I think is the exciting part about Amazon and e-commerce businesses is that everyone talks to the same crowd, right? We we're all in the same capacity of speaking or branding or helping other people in the space there. I, I would say that there's not a large chunk of people out there that do what we do, both the domestic and international side, you're representing both, which is exciting and fascinating for, I think a lot of businesses as this business continues to evolve forward. So that being said, I know we both have busy schedules and whatnot. And I don't, I know you have deals that are burning your inbox right now. That being said, if I'm a person who wants to either acquire a business um, on the digital aspect side, or if I'm looking to potentially have invest or have someone who represents me in selling my asset or my Amazon business or e-commerce business. We talked about SaaS. We didn't even get into all these things. So we're definitely going to have to have you back on David. But that being said, how do people get in touch with you? What, what's the best way to reach out and one more? Well, they can learn more at our website, which they can find at djcdigitalbrokers.com. Uh, they can feel free to e email me at david at djcdigitalbrokers.com. And uh, or they can also hit us on our social channels, which I know you're promoting. Awesome. Yeah, of course. And that's what we like to do. We like to support other businesses who are doing the right thing in the business. That's why we have the show. We like to promote people who are helping other people in businesses grow. Uh, in your case, both sides either exit and make them 
profitable or um, at the end of the day, helping other businesses grow in that capacity as well. So uh, is there, do, I know we touched on a lot and there's a lot more we can talk, uh, talk about as well for the rest of this year. What are you focusing on? Is there more networking in person? Are you getting back out there with events or what's that look like for you as an individual and uh, entrepreneur? So our, we're, we're, as I was mentioning before, we're at a very exciting time right now. We're actually going to be having, uh, we're celebrating the, uh, this the next month, the, um, the three year anniversary of the, the formal formation of the company, which was in July of 2018, which is when we started the buy side business. Uh, we're having our first formal company retreat. Uh, we're going to be doing some team building. And uh, so I think what's exciting, what's going on for the rest of this year is we're, I'm building out my team. Uh, we've, we've, I've got a couple of people that have just joined me uh, and we'll be probably recruiting a couple more before the end of the year. Uh, what we're doing, Ryan, is we're trying to, um, I guess, uh, build capacity. Uh, we, we now have more clients and more activity than we do capacity. So we're at the moment, we're, we're being a little choosy at, at right. who we work with, but I'd like to be able to serve more of those clients. But I want to do so in a, in a way that's consistent with the principles that we've established for the company. So we're working to build, build that capacity, and that's, that's what we're, we're focused on. Amazing stuff. Growth is always an exciting thing to talk about and tout. And unfortunately, the uh, the world is not always that way or certain industries don't always get to see the growth that we're seeing as well as yourself. So that's exciting. Congratulations for you and the team at DJC Digital. And of course, everyone, again, check out if you want to learn more about David or connect with them. All that stuff is going to be in the show notes or the comment section. Uh, check them out at djcportfolio.com. Com. David, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce. Friend of the show now, thank you so much, and we'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Ryan. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Again, thank you, everyone, for hopping on Crossover Commerce. This was episode 124. Again, I bring on the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce space, and the topics will range in a wide variety, but this is something that is always fascinating to me in terms of the brokerage side, as well as the selling and acquiring digital assets. Again, it can be anything from your digital and e-commerce brand to a SaaS uh, solution or a software solution, or it can just be a business that is dominating the space. Go and check out David and his team um, again in the show notes. That website is going to be there, the djcdigital.com. And again, of course, check out Ping Pong Payments. If you have a solution, you're trying to grow margin and put it towards your business uh, bottom line, go ahead and check out Ping Pong Payments and helping with cross-border payments whether it's sending payments to your employees or VAs or uh, any sort of manufacturers and distributors worldwide, or just receiving from multiple marketplaces as your brand continues to grow, go and check out Ping Pong Payments. That link is going to be in the show notes as well as on the landing pages where this episode will live as well. I'm Ryan Kramer. This is Crossover Commerce. Take care and we'll catch you guys next time on another episode.